Hey, what's going on, everyone? We are so glad you're choosing to take time out of your day to listen to our sermons. Our prayer for you is that these messages would not replace your belonging to a local church, but would only be supplemental in your walk with Jesus. With that being said, we love you, and we hope you enjoy the message today. So, I actually have a lot of aunts and uncles. Uh, My mom had one brother but my dad was actually one of seven. And uh, so my dad has a brother named Danny and he married a woman named Sheila. And well, growing up, uh, I didn't quite know them as Uncle Danny and Aunt Sheila. Uh, Uncle Danny was fine. I, I knew him as that. That's exactly what I would call him. But my aunt taught me not to call her Aunt Sheila. Uh, she was very specific that her name was Aunt Princess Sheila. And uh, emphasis on that princess bit. The funny part about the story is that as I was growing up, I, I didn't think anything of this. It's just, this is just the way that it was. It was just, oh, okay, her name is Aunt Princess Sheila. Uh, it was actually, it wasn't until high school that uh, I, w- I mentioned my Aunt Princess Sheila in a conversation, and I paused because I realized in that moment how weird those words sounded coming out of my mouth. That was the first time it occurred to me, she's actually only Aunt Sheila. She, she kind of tricked me for quite a few years. But that's the funny thing about belief, especially belief as a child. What she told me shaped the way that I thought about her, uh, the way that I talked about her, the way that I talked to her. Anything that, that had to do with my aunt was shaped by the fact that I believed her to be my Aunt Princess Sheila. It was all wrapped up in that belief. So today we're going to look at a man named Nicodemus, and a lot of you are probably familiar with this story, but I want to hone in today on this idea of belief. So uh, if you have your Bibles with you, you can follow along with me. If not, I'm going to throw the words on the screen for you, but we're going to start in John chapter 3, and this is where we're going to spend most of our time. John chapter 3, and we're just going to start in verse 1, and it says, Now, there was a Pharisee. A man named Nicodemus, who was a member of the Jewish ruling council. He came to Jesus at night and said, Rabbi, we know that you are a teacher who has come from God, for no one could perform the signs that you're doing if God were not with him. Okay, first, can I tell you something that I love about preaching? It's actually pretty frequent that I see things in the scriptures for the very first time while preparing the sermon. And that again has happened this time to me. See, we're told a lot of important things here about Nicodemus. We're told that he came to talk to Jesus at night. Well, why did he come at night? Why is that important? Well, because of the group that he was a part of. Nicodemus was a Pharisee. That's important because these are the people who hated Jesus, who frequently challenged Jesus, eventually crucified Jesus. 
but he was also a member of the Jewish ruling council. This is also known as the Sanhedrin council. Uh, This was the same council that the apostle Paul would eventually be on before he was converted to Christianity. And if you're not familiar with this, it's think of it almost as like this religiously fueled legislative council in the region. Okay. But when Nicodemus comes to Jesus, see, this is what I noticed. He says that we know that Jesus is a teacher sent from God. That we really stood out to me this time. So it's possible that Nicodemus is coming and talking to Jesus because he's a part of a group of Pharisees who are gen- who genuinely believe that Jesus is sent from God. That's a possibility. It's also possible that Nicodemus was completely alone on this among the Pharisees. It's entirely possible that Nicodemus was turning his back on his peers, on those he worked incredibly closely with, on religious terms, to get to know about this man, Jesus. This we very well may represent Nicodemus among the crowds that would gather to see Jesus do miracles. And this we could simply be uh, Nicodemus aligning himself to some extent with those who are around Jesus because that's usually a more comfortable way to confront people. But, But I wanna think for a moment, what if, you know, all of this is conjecture. So what if it was the crowds that Nicodemus was aligning himself with? See, it's incredibly interesting to me to think that it's possible that Nicodemus has already begun to realign himself away from those who are religious in order to meet Jesus. Because I've found this to be the story of so many. This is largely the story for myself. But either way, Nicodemus has come at night to speak with Jesus. And maybe it was because he knew that the other Pharisees wouldn't approve. Maybe it was because he just wanted to have one-on-one personal conversations with Jesus. But either way, here we are. So we keep moving in the text. And now in John chapter 3, still, but in verse 3, Jesus replied, Very truly, I tell you, no one can see the kingdom of God unless they are born again. Uh, Hold on. What do you mean he replied? Nicodemus didn't even ask any questions. He just said, hey, look, we know that you come from God because of the works that you're doing. And Jesus replies, hey, listen, no one can see the kingdom of God unless they're born again. I didn't ask you any questions, Jesus. What what are you talking about? (laughs) And, And naturally, Nicodemus is confused and starts to ask some questions about what in the world are you talking about, Jesus? So jumping down, verses 4 through 8, and we read, How can someone be born when they're old? Nicodemus asked. Surely they cannot enter a second time into their mother's womb to be born. And Jesus answered, Very truly, I tell you, no one can enter the kingdom of God unless they're born of water and the Spirit. Flesh gives birth to flesh, but the Spirit gives birth to Spirit. You should not be surprised at my saying, you must be born again. The wind blows wherever it pleases. You hear its sound, but you can't tell where it comes from or where it's going. So it is with everyone born of the Spirit. Get it? (laughs) 
Do you totally understand what Jesus is talking about when he talks about being born again? Well, if you don't, that's okay because neither did Nicodemus. Uh, But here's the gist of what's going on here. Jesus is trying to get Nicodemus to wrap his mind around the fact that while we live in a physical world, there is very much a spiritual reality that we need to be aware of, that we need to be connected to. The Apostle Paul makes it incredibly clear to us in uh, different places, such as the letter to the Romans, the letter to the Ephesians. He tells us that though we are born physically alive into this world, we're born spiritually dead. And because of the reality of sin in this world, we are dead in our sins. He straight up says this in Ephesians chapter 2 verse 1. Right? So there's this, this life physic, that's physical, but there's also a spiritual life that we need to be aware of. Obviously, you're still living and breathing in order to be watching this sermon or listening to the audio podcast version of it. But spiritually, you may still be in a place that you need to be brought to life. That's exactly what Jesus it was teaching Nicodemus here. But of course, how does all of that work? So John uh, chapter 3 verses 9 through 15, we're going to read all the way leading up to the passage that most of us are familiar with in John 3.16. If you're not familiar, go read it because we're not going to touch it today. But John 9 through 15, this is what leads up to that moment. How can this be, Nicodemus asked? You are Israel's teacher, said Jesus, and do you not understand these things? Very truly, I tell you, we speak of what we know and we testify to what we have seen, but still you people do not accept our testimony. I've spoken to you of earthly things and you don't believe. How then will you believe if I speak of heavenly things? No one has ever gone into heaven except the one who came from heaven, the Son of Man. He's talking about himself. The Son of Man is Jesus. And then in verse 14, he says, Just as Moses lifted up the snake in the wilderness, so the Son of Man must be lifted up that everyone who believes may have eternal life in him. Okay, here's where it gets good. Because this is where Jesus starts getting into the actual point of this whole conversation. So, last year, uh, when I went on vacation, my wife and I went to Southern California with our kids And uh, we went down there to watch a hockey game, check out some different churches, and to go to Disneyland. And uh, see, that's how my wife and I compromise. I love Anaheim hockey, she loves Anaheim Disney, and it works out uh, because Disneyland and the Honda Center are so close to each other that we can uh, can have it all, so to speak. So that's our compromise, that's what we do, and we were down there for a Sunday, so uh, we decided to go check out a church that we wouldn't normally get the chance to go to. So on Sunday, we went to North Coast Church in Vista. Uh, It's near San Diego. And we actually, we had lunch in San Diego. And then because we've been driving around so much, we promised the kids that we would take them to the park. So I got on my phone and I'm looking up some different parks we can go to. I find one that looks like a good park that hopefully doesn't charge for parking because when you're a dad, those are the things that matter to you. And... We get to the park, and at that time, there was only one thing that consumed Felicity's life. It was the only thing that she ever wanted to do. 
when she went outside and played. She wanted to blow bubbles. <laughs> that was her life. So we got some bubbles out of the car and just let her bl blow some bubbles and chase bubbles as we blew them. And uh, there were a couple of other kids at the park that saw the bubbles and that piqued their interest because kids love bubbles. So they came over to see them. They were kind of watching from a distance, but uh, their grandpa comes over and he asks us if his kids can play with ours with the bubbles. And uh, sure, that's fine. And so we let the kids play together and uh, play with the bubbles together. And he watched them while they did. And then at this random park in San Diego, this grandpa whom we've never met goes, you know what? I, I think I've actually got some bubbles in my car. And then he tells his granddaughters to stay with us while he walks over uh, to the other side of a hill, totally out of sight, and is gone. Do you, do you get how weird this is? Because Katie and I sure felt how weird it was. And uh, Katie and I looked at one another. We looked back at these little girls who we've never met before, who were total strangers to us, and then back to each other. And we're like, what in the world just happened? What is going on? How, how in the world did this total stranger just leave his two granddaughters with us? And in a few moments, we saw him pop back up over the hill carrying loads of bubble material because apparently that was his thing. He told us he was a professional bubble blower. Um, I don't know if that's a thing, but if it is, maybe that explains um, more of the confusing situation around us. But, uh, but at the end of the day, this man genuinely believed that my wife and I were good enough people that he could leave his granddaughters with us. Now, here's what I want you to understand. There are plenty of people in this world who I think are good enough people for me to trust my kids with them. But I don't believe well enough to actually leave my kids with them. Do you get what I'm saying? I think they're good enough, but I don't believe enough to actually leave my kids with them. If you believe something, then it takes such a priority in your life that you are willing to act on that thing. This man believed that we were good enough to watch his granddaughters and he acted on it, no matter how insane that actually is. Three separate times in this passage in John 3, just in verses 9 through 15, and we see it way more in the rest of the chapter, but three times just in verses 9 through 15, we have seen Jesus use the word believe. This is what it's all about. This is what this passage is all about. Now, think about this, because we know that in this story, Nicodemus and Jesus are, are standing face to face. They see each other. Nicodemus can reach out and touch the hands of Jesus, the garments of Jesus. He's right there face to face. And Jesus tells Nicodemus that he has to believe. So obviously Jesus isn't telling Nicodemus to just believe that he exists because obviously they're past that, right? So this has to be more than that. See, I have a three-year-old and a one-year-old. And this means, <laughs> this means that there is literally always always 
crying in my house all day, every day. Sometimes it's the kids, sometimes it's my wife, sometimes it's me. Someone's always crying. And uh, for every reason that you could possibly think of. When I hear that screaming and crying, there are a few things that have to happen. But ultimately, I have to decide if someone's hurt or if someone's throwing a temper tantrum because both of these are generally equally possible. I'm the parent that if, uh, if my kids are throwing a temper tantrum, at least at home where they only can bother my wife and myself, I'll just wait it out because they're not gonna get a reaction from me until they decide that they're gonna treat me like a human being, like they wanna be treated. But if they're hurt, then you'll see me jump up and sprint to their location as quickly as I possibly can. But at the end of the day, all of this comes down to the fact that my actions are dictated by my beliefs. If I believe it's a temper tantrum, then my actions are sitting and waiting it out. If I believe that someone's hurt, then my actions respond with me leaping to action to save my kid from whatever may have happened. You can tell me all day long that you believe in Jesus, but I'm going to look at your actions. You can tell Jesus all day long that you believe in him, but he's going to look at your actions. If you tell me that you believe in Jesus, but your actions don't reflect his teachings, then you don't actually believe in Jesus. See, if you've been in church for a while, then you're likely familiar with something that we call the Roman road, right? Uh, if you're unfamiliar, there are a group of passages in the book of Romans that clearly lay out salvation. It's one of the clearest places that we get this picture. And in the midst of the Romans road is uh, a passage that a lot of us are familiar with. It's Romans chapter 10, verses, verse 9. And so in Romans 10, verse 9, it says, If you declare with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. That's, that's pretty clear, right? So we read that and then we say things like believe in Jesus or accept Jesus into your heart. But, but that's not quite what the passage is actually saying. There are two words that Paul put together very intentionally here, Lord and believe. See, if you believe in Jesus, then you believe that he is who he said he is and you believe that you are who he said that you are. And that means that you believe that Jesus is the king of kings and you are submitting your life to him as your king or as your Lord. Lord and believe. These two words were put together very intentionally. And so do you see how clear how, how clear it is that action is involved in this. I want to be clear that you're not saved by your actions. The only actions that can save were those of Jesus at the cross. But if you truly have to believe in Jesus and declare him as your Lord, then there will be actions to follow. If there's not, then there was never actually belief. It's as easy as that to understand. People often get confused by the relationship between faith and works. This is it. Genuine faith yields genuine works. And we can actually begin to see that in Nicodemus. 
See, there, there are guards, when we press forward in the story, there are guards who have just begun to talk to the Pharisees. But they didn't bring Jesus with them. And so, uh, we're going to skip back from the book of Romans, now back to the book of John. And this time we're going to pick up in chapter 7. And so, in John chapter 7, we're going to read verses 45 through 51. So, John uh, chapter 7, 45 through 51 says, Finally, the temple guards went back to the chief priests and the Pharisees who asked them, Why didn't you bring him in, Jesus? No one ever spoke the way this man does, the guards replied. You mean he's deceived you also, the Pharisees retorted. Have any of the rulers or the Pharisees believed in him? No, but this mob that knows nothing of the law, there is a curse on them. And Nicodemus, who had gone to Jesus earlier, and who was one of their own number, asked, Does our law condemn a man without first hearing him to find out what he's been doing? Hmm. Here, we actually see Nicodemus stand up to the Pharisees. He was a, the Pharisees that he was a part of. And he actually starts to align himself with Jesus instead of the Pharisees. He stands at the defense of Jesus. None of the other Pharisees were willing to do this. This was risky business for Nicodemus. He ran the risk of losing his job, of losing all credibility, of being socially ostracized. And you might be thinking that's a bit harsh because well, he was, what he was saying was still true. It was still the law, which the Pharisees followed. But don't forget that the Pharisees always seemed to be willing to manipulate the law, to manipulate their beliefs, to come after this man, Jesus. They showed their priorities in that. They showed what they believed because their actions were willing to forsake what they said they believed to pursue what they truly believed. And that was the persecution of this man, Jesus. What they really believed was that Jesus was a threat to the way of life that they had learned to love. That's what it was. But then there's more. See, Nicodemus stands up here, but then he's mentioned one more time in the Gospel of John. See, immediately following the crucifixion of Jesus, we we can fast forward to John chapter 19. And in John chapter 19, verses 38 through 40, It says, later, Joseph of Arimathea asked Pilate for the body of Jesus. Remember, he had just been crucified. Now, Joseph was a disciple of Jesus, but secretly because he feared the Jewish leaders. With Pilate's permission, he came and took the body away. He was accompanied by Nicodemus, the man who earlier had visited Jesus at night. Nicodemus brought a mixture of myrrhs and aloes, about 75 pounds. And taking Jesus' body, the two of them wrapped it with spices and strips of linen. This was in accordance with the Jewish burial customs. So here's what's so important about this passage. Nicodemus was willing to associate himself with another Christian follower, even if it was a baby step in this case. Nicodemus was also, uh, he brought his own possessions to give to the burial of Jesus. And he did the work to help make sure that Jesus had a proper burial. What you give your time, your attention, your possession, and your efforts to will declare to the rest of the world what it is that you actually believe in. Before Jesus ascended back to heaven, he told his followers that he would be leaving them with the Holy Spirit. 
He told them that it would be a good thing because he would be with them always. Jesus was a human being who could only be in one place at one time, but he promised that the Holy Spirit would always be with us and he would always be leading us. So knowing that, I think it's incredibly important for those of us who are Jesus followers to pause for a moment and ask a question. Where's the Holy Spirit leading me? Where is the Holy Spirit leading me right now? And and maybe this is even a moment that, that becomes your prayer and you simply pray to the Holy Spirit asking him, Holy Spirit, where is it that you are leading me right now? Where are you leading me? Because he's always leading. He may be leading you to sit still for a moment and trust him. He may be leading you to take a step that you're not ready to take. (laughs) He has a tendency to do that. But whatever it is, I can guarantee you that he is leading you and he's simply waiting for you to follow his leadership. So where's the Holy Spirit leading you? Where does a first step, what does a first step look like for you? And I wish I could just tell you what to do next, but I can't. That's not how it works. That means that it's time for you to have personal time with the Spirit and in the Word of God, searching and seeking for what your next move in the kingdom of God is. So let me finish with this. For what it's worth, I can tell you that following the Holy Spirit is terrifying but it's also the best thing that can and will ever happen to you. I've waited when it seemed insane. I've taken steps when I couldn't see the ground in front of me. And when it's all said and done, I can tell you with complete confidence that God is good. Believe that he is good. Let the belief dictate your actions. Remain in Christ. Take your next step in the kingdom. Believe. It's what you were made for. God, thank you for this time in your word. Thank you for uh, your people, for the belief that surrounds your church. And we pray that, that you would convict us with a deeper belief that would lead to more action, that would lead to us being your hands and feet to, towards us doing your kingdom work. And God, I pray for those who are uh, wrestling with conviction right now of where the Holy Spirit is leading them, that you would make it clear to them where you're taking them, where you're leading them, that they would have assurance that though it may be terrifying, that you are good and you are leading them in a good path. And God, I pray that you would give those people the confidence to follow you. God, we love you. We trust that you are good. We believe that. And we just pray that that belief would dictate our actions. And it's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen.